Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. The fellowship is great, and now you've gotten me. Well, Who agrees that the Bible is an incredible book? Yeah. And who agrees that there is lots of wisdom in the Bible? And who would agree that Jesus said, let little children come to me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, you'd agree with that? So if we think that there's a lot of wisdom in the Bible and Jesus said, let the little children come to me, should we perhaps pay attention to the things that kids say, the wisdom that children say? So I came across one or two words of wisdom from children that I thought I'd just share with you. Patrick, age 10. Never trust a dog to watch your food for you whilst you go to the toilet. Michael, 14. When your dad is mad with you and says, do I look stupid or something? Don't answer him. (laughs) I think that's very wise, isn't it? Robert, nine. I don't know whether this is words of wisdom or just a matter of fact. Stay away from prunes. (laughs) I I tend to agree with that one. Tracy, 14. Never allow your three-year-old brother in the same room as your school assignment. (laughs) Voice of experience there. Andrew, age six. You can't hide a piece of broccoli in a glass of milk. <laughs> I always hide it behind a plant pot whilst nobody's looking, personally. But... And then finally, we've got Eileen, eight. Never try to baptise a cat. <laughs> she perhaps got, still got the scars to think about that. Well, I, perhaps I can't give such wise words this morning, but I truly believe that God wants to speak to some people here today. Are you ready to receive something from God? Have you come with an expectant heart to receive from God? Or have you just come and sat in your normal chair where you're normally sitting every Sunday and expect a a normal church service? So I want to challenge you this morning. I had the great honour and privilege of representing the Nottinghamshire Constabulary uh, in about 1982-1983 at the Cenotaph Remembrance Sunday. And I was stood there in my full uniform, balled up boots, and I was stood opposite the cenotaph. And I saw these so many people walk past, all the soldiers marching, and then the soldiers in the wheelchairs being pushed. I've got to say, I had a lump in my throat. And we're here to remember this morning what sacrifice they made for us, so that we may know freedom. So many young men and women never had the opportunity to fulfill their potential. This morning, we've got an opportunity to fulfill our potential. Last uh, last week, Stephen asked me to preach and said, I could preach about anything I wanted. Anything that God had laid on my heart. I didn't have to stick to a theme, I could preach whatever I wanted. And we've been following the theme, make it matter. And he said, you don't have to preach on that. You can do whatever you like. But I've been impacted by this, this theme, make it matter. And I, I just want to continue with that, to make it matter. Make every day count, to seize the day. Even a good day of your normal is nowhere near what God has planned for you. So a subtitle, perhaps, to make it matter would be 
Seize the day. Even a good day of your normal is nowhere near what God has planned for you. So let's read together the foundational verse that we've been putting all this preaching on. And if you've never had the opportunity, if you've not been here over the last couple of weeks and you've heard, we've heard some fantastic preaching and teaching about being wise stewards of our time, about you know, our, our works and service and how we sensibly manage our finances and act with compassion and kindness to others. This is the foundational verse that we've been looking at. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's, it's here a little while and then it's gone. Oh, how this verse is so true. We just do not know what's around the corner. We don't know what's going to happen next year, next month, next week. We don't even know what's going to happen in the next 30 minutes. But we do know that God has got plans for us. Because in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So many people in this world live their normal everyday lives without any sense of hope, without any sense of destiny or purpose or any sense of future. The problem is we have just become so used to living our normal everyday lives that we think that normal is okay. I want to read from you from the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 11 to 12. It's about Paul. Just before we read it, Paul was a normal guy. He was a Jew. He was well-learned. And he used to persecute Christians. That was his normal day. He used to go around persecuting Christians. His name was Saul at that time. And he'd go around and he'd throw people out of their houses, Christians out of their houses. He would persecute them, throw them into prison, even kill them, stoning them. That was his normal activity. And he was very good at it. But one normal day, Paul is walking on the road to Damascus. And God suddenly steps into his life and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And if you read the Bible, it tells you that Saul suddenly went blind. He could not see. And then he had to make his way blind to seek help from the very people he had been persecuting, the Christians. Can you imagine being at home and there's a knock on the door and you open it and it's, it's Saul there? And you're a Christian. And you know that Saul has been persecuting Christians, been throwing them out of the house, been throwing them into prison. And all of a sudden, Saul is there. How, how terrified you must have felt. How terrifying for Paul to go and put his trust in these Christians he had been terrorizing. It can only be a God thing, that. <laughs> that can only be a God thing. That God would use somebody who is actually persecuting Christians to actually turn his life around so that he becomes not just a normal man, but a man full of purpose and destiny that he ends up writing the majority of the New Testament of the Bible. And verse 19, 11, 12 says this. God did extraordinary 
miracles through Paul. So that even a handkerchief and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. He did not even have to be in the same room. He did not even have to be in the same country. But if a handkerchief or an apron had touched Paul, that was then taken and laid on the ill and on the sick and they were healed. That is not normal. That is supernatural. That is extraordinary. That is where God wants us to live, in the supernatural. And you might be saying, well, I could never do that. You know, and the, the enemy, the father of lies, will start whispering in your ears right now. I can almost guarantee it. They'll be saying, well, you couldn't do that. You don't read the Bible enough for that. You don't pray long enough to be able to do miracles. It's all lies. Don't even dare to try and pray for someone because you will look foolish and stupid when nothing happens. And yet I know that miracles do happen. Before Liz and I came to Arena Church, we used to go to Trent Vineyard. And um, on the first Saturday of every month, we used to go into Mansfield Marketplace. We used to put a, a sign up saying healing. And we used to pray for people. And I remember one particular Saturday morning, just a normal Saturday morning, a guy walks past, looks at this sign that says healing, and ha! Went straight into the bookies. He comes out of the bookies, and he says, what's all this then? And my mate is talking to him, and he said, well, we're just, we're just Christians, just praying for people. So you believe in God? So my friend said, yeah. And you believe that God can heal? <laughs> and my mate said, yeah. He says, so what can he do about that? And he held his hand up. And these three fingers had been severed with a chainsaw and have just been sewn back. It says, all my ligaments, all the, the tendons, no good. Those three fingers. What can God do about that then? Scoffing at us. And my friend said, I don't know. <laughs> but I'll pray for you if you want. So he just took his hand and he just said, God, Jesus, would you help this man in need this morning? Would you just touch this man? This man went, Look at that! Look at that! And tears started streaming down his eyes. I've never been able to move my finger like that since I... That's amazing! That's unbelievable! Look at that! We said, let's pray for you a bit more. He said, I can't become a Christian. I can't become a Christian. Not for what I've done. So he said, what do you mean? And he didn't go into much detail. He said, I was in the war in Serbia in the 90s. The things I've seen and the things I've done, I don't think God will ever allow me into heaven. So we prayed for him a little bit more. And he went away. And he went into the pub. Two minutes later, he comes out of the pub with three of his friends. And he's pointing over to us. He's going, telling the mates, telling his mates what we've done. That was not a normal day. That was an extraordinary day. But God stepped into his life. And he still wants to do that today. I really believe it. I want to look at an example of someone who didn't settle for the normal, but who seized the day, seized the opportunity to change his life forever. We're going to look at Mark 10, verse 46 to 52. We're going to leave it up a, 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 for a while, hopefully, because I want to go through it verse by verse and just begin to explain what it's about. But first, let me just set the scene. 
Jesus called his disciples. He's been with the disciples for about three years or so. We're talking about the last few weeks of Jesus' ministry on this earth. And he's, he's been to preaching in Galilee, in Capernaum. He's healed many people. He's fed the 4,000, seen many people healed. And the, the disciples have been eyewitnesses with Jesus about these incredible events. He took just 12 normal guys who were fishing or, and doing tax collecting and just took 12 normal guys out of their normal existence and just show them an incredible, extraordinary way to live. So here we are. Jesus and his disciples are on their way from Jericho. And they're just about to go into uh, Jerusalem where the triumphal entry. And then obviously to the cross. The ultimate victory. But here we pick up the story. Jesus... Mark 10, 46 to 52. They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, wherever Jesus was, there was a large crowd. They were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, I don't know whether you know this, but Bar means son, son of. So it's son of Timaeus. And the Greek uh, root word for Timaeus means to honour. So we've got the son of to honour, crying out to the son of David. The son of David being the lineage line of the Messiah. They came to this large crowd and it was just started out as another normal day for blind Bartimaeus. He would have woken up and washed and had his normal breakfast and put on his normal cloak. I've got my coat here that's going to represent Bartimaeus' cloak. And he made his way to his normal position on the side of the road to beg for mercy. And you can almost get that sense where every day he'd done this for many years. We don't know how old he was, he doesn't tell us, but he's got to be over 13 because we refer to as an adult rather than a child. You can almost imagine, can't you? It's like the conversation. So it's like somebody coming along and saying, excuse me, do you know where Andy lives? Yeah, you go down this road here, past blind Bartimaeus, who's always at the side of the road, and his house is second on the left. Because this is his normal activity to go begging. There's no social services, there's no welfare state. The only way you can survive is by receiving gifts from people who pass him by. And we also have to understand, in this culture, at this time, people believed that if you had an infirmity... It is because somebody in your family must have sinned. Somebody in your family either through the generations must have displeased God in some way. So he's got that to live with as well. So here he is, blind. Sat at the roadside, begging. Can you imagine the sight? A large crowd following Jesus. Everybody crowding round Jesus, trying to get near to him, trying to touch him, trying to hear what Jesus is saying. And the, and the disciples acting as a buffer, almost like bodyguards, trying to keep the people away as much as they can so that they can proceed to where they're going. And when blind Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, verse 47, they began to shout, Jesus, son of David! Have mercy on me. 
And many of the crowd rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. It wasn't one person who, who told him to be quiet. Or two people tell him to be quiet. But many people told him to be quiet. Listen. When we know that Jesus is nearby, we need to shout and make a noise to get ourselves heard. We've got to get out of our normal politeness and do anything and everything we can to get closer to Jesus. The time for embarrassment, time for the British stiff upper lip, oh, well, you know, I've been this way for so long. I've suffered with this infirmity for so long. I've just got used to it. When Jesus is nearby, let's get close to him. Don't let your normal apathy win. Stand up and shout more. The enemy wants to keep you in your normal box. He wants to keep you quiet. He doesn't want you to change, but God wants to let you out of your normal, comfortable life and take you into something that is extraordinary. But he won't force it on you. He's a gentle God. He will not force himself on you, but you have to stand up and step out towards Jesus. Jesus, I believe, is here this morning. Why do I believe that? Because the Bible tells me so. When two or three gather together, he, Jesus, will be in their midst. He's here now, guys. Jesus is here this morning. What are you going to do? Are you going to miss out on the opportunity to receive your miracle? Or are you going to make today matter? Jesus stopped and said, call him. Call him. Jesus is never too busy to stop. <laughs> you may be busy rushing around and doing all kinds of things, but Jesus is never too busy to stop and say, come, come to me. God thinks you are so important that the Bible tells us even a hair doesn't fall from your head without him knowing. He's not a faraway God. He's so close and wants to get closer. So the people said, oh, cheer up, Bartimaeus, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. Isn't it amazing how things change when you are persistent? Bartimaeus, if he had shut up at the first time somebody said to him, be quiet, shut up, he would have missed out on his miracle. He would have missed out on being used by God. And isn't it amazing how the cry would suddenly change? <laughs> One minute they're saying, Ah, shut up, be quiet. But when Jesus speaks and says, call him, the crowd turn around and say, oh, cheer up, he's calling you. One minute they're against Bartimaeus. But when Jesus speaks, all of a sudden the crowd's attitude changes. I've been like that at work. <laughs> People have laughed at me and scoffed at me because I'm a Christian and I go to church. I have to remember one of the guy I used to work with. He was very knowledgeable about the Bible. Very knowledgeable. In fact, he left my knowledge behind. And he could quote chapter and verse, but he wasn't a Christian. And he used to argue the theology with me and doctrine. 
And he turned around to me one day and said, the only thing different between me and you, Paul, is that God has changed your life. And I can't argue about that. Because he's not changed mine. But I can see that he's changed your life. We need to seize the day. We need to understand that God does not want us in the normal box, but he wants to take us into something that is extraordinary. Jesus said, call, come. And the crowd said, come on, blind Bartimaeus. And blind Bartimaeus did this. I've heard so many sermons and teaching on blind Bartimaeus. Sometimes we miss the obvious. The first thing he did, throwing his cloak aside, Oops. Throwing his cloak aside, he stood up. I think that is so significant, guys. He threw the cloak that identified him as blind Bartimaeus. He threw it aside. He identified him as a person in need. He threw it aside. Question. What cloak are you wearing that identifies you? You might say, well, I don't know what you mean, Paul. I got this from Primark, you know. No, I don't mean the the coat you're wearing. I mean the cloak that you put on. The cloak that you put on on a Sunday morning to come to church. Is it the same cloak that you wear when you go to your office or to your school on a Monday morning? See, I believe that everybody has an invisible cloak, as it were, that people adorn themselves with. And I, I just want to say, you know, Glenys is a typical example. You know, Glenn, I've known Glennis a few years now. I look at her and she's got a cloak of joy. She's always willing to have a laugh. She's always got a smile on her face. And I know from talking to her and spending time with her in Smorgon and what have you, her life has not always been happy. She's had a share of grief. But you'd never know it from looking at her. She just emanates joy. I know Olivia Richardson... She has a cloak of servitude. She just serves. She just loves to serve. I know that if I ask Olivia to do something, it'll get done. You just know that. And there's one or two other people. Nathan, cloak of worship. Absolutely. He stands up here and he starts worshipping. He's not just performing. If everybody cleared off and went out, he'd carry on worshipping. My wife, Liz, cloak of prayer. Oh, prayer warrior. She puts me to shame. (laughs) Praise for me and our family and for this church and for the lost. So you can see, I can see many people around here. I could go on talking about individuals who wear a cloak of righteousness, steadfastness, persistence, of standing there saying, Yeah, God, you're my God. What identifies you? Sometimes we have a cloak of unbelief. I used to work with a, a detective inspector who used to nickname the Eye Dark Cloud. Because every time he'd come into the office, it was like a dark cloud had descended into the office. He was so miserable. I think it came through insecurity. So he always used to criticize, always used to blame, never gave anybody any encouragement. So we nicknamed him the Eye Dark Cloud. What kind of cloak are you wearing? Perhaps all of us in some way can be identified by the cloak we wear. We guess that sometimes we have a cloak of unbelief or a cloak of untrust or a cloak of 
Why is it always me? A cloak of defeatism. A cloak of being satisfied living in the norm. I believe this morning God wants to say, come on guys, it's time to cast off that cloak of normality. and Step into the extraordinary life God has for you. So blind Bartimaeus, he threw off his cloak. He threw off that which identified him. He threw it to one side. He threw it behind him. And he stood up whilst he was still blind. And he stepped out towards Jesus whilst he was still blind. His circumstances hadn't changed. But it had changed. Even, I believe, even if he hadn't been healed by Jesus, by doing what he did, something had changed in his attitude. Something had changed in his lifestyle that was never going to be the same again. Here was Jesus Christ. He threw off that which identified, which held him back. And he stood up and he stepped out towards Jesus. Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? What a question to ask. Excuse the pun, but surely it was blindingly obvious. (laughs) He knew what he wanted to do. Let me just clarify something with you. To believe that a man called Jesus Christ lived in Jerusalem and was crucified in Jerusalem and was laid into a tomb, that's history. Because there are so many historical documents and books that prove that a man called Jesus was crucified and laid in the tomb. That's history. But to believe that Jesus Christ was crucified, laid in the tomb, and the third day rose again to forgive your sins and reconcile you back to God, that's faith. That's more than history. That's more than just knowledge. That is faith. Blind Bartimaeus. He cried out, Son of David, referring to the Messiah, cast off that which held him back, stood up and stepped out, still in the same circumstances, still blind. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? I believe that Jesus just wanted Bartimaeus to voice it, to speak it out, to make the thoughts in his mind, the desires in his heart, to become words in his mouth that he dares to speak out to become reality. Do we dare speak out this morning ourselves? Jesus wanted him to seize the day, of course, even a good day, of your normal. (laughs) It's nowhere near what God has planned for you. And the blind man said, Rabbi, teacher, I want to see. Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I believe that Jesus is here this morning. I believe that he really wants us to get rid of that which holds us back. I've seen so many Christians over the years have a real encounter with God. But then they go back to what's comfortable. To what they know. They go back and just carry this just in case. 
Jesus, I believe, is saying, no, leave it behind you. Follow me. Walk into the things I have got for you. Jesus Christ here this morning saying the same words to each and every one of us. What do you want me to do for you? I thought long and hard about that. I've got to say, I thought long and hard about that because, you know, thank God that I've got reasonable health. A few aches and pains now as I'm getting older, but nothing serious. I'm reasonably financially secure. I've got a loving wife and family. A a nice house. What do you want me to do? God, Jesus, I'll tell you what I want you to do for me. I want to see my son and daughter. My daughter-in-law and my grandchildren. Come to know you, God. Come to live and know you. To stand in your grace and mercy. To follow you. I want to see this community of Mansfield changed, God. I want to see people's lives set free. I want to see this community begin to understand that we live in a time where we can seize the day. and That you are there. God, you want to change the community to save the lost, to help the sick. That's why I'm going to say this morning, blind Bartimaeus received immediate healing and then, then did something that a lot of people failed to do. He walked away from that which he knew to be normal. He carried on with Jesus. Would the musicians please come up? Many years ago, when I first became a Christian, I was given a, a tape, a Hillsong tape. And uh, I played this tape in my car, and I played one particular song because it spoke to me. And the song was this. I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed the door. I will walk the path. I will run the race. And I will never be the same again there are higher highs there are deeper seas whatever you need to do lord do in me the glory of god fills my life and i will never be the same again i use that as an anthem every time i started to waver in my faith i used to sing that song every time things when things started to go bad i used to sing that song because i closed the door And over 35 years or so of being a Christian, I've seen so many people go back and open that door. Go back to the comfort zone. That's why it's so important to drop the cloak and not pick it up again. But to seize the day. Make the day matter and follow Jesus. Jesus is here this morning. I truly believe he's asking the same question of each and every one of us. What do you want me to do for you.